out on the road Waiting for a new episode We've been thinking of you And just what you need Oh yeah, yeah Now that the show's underway I guess we can call it a day You're ready for Welcome back to another episode of the Bowfinger Minute podcast. Each week, Movies by Minutes hosts examine the 1999 Frank Oz directed comedy Bowfinger, one minute screen time per episode. I am Jake Lewitt. And I'm Mark Hoffmeyer. And normally you can find us over on Con Air, the podcast, or Deep Blue Sea, the podcast. But today we're talking about Minute 17 of Bowfinger. What happens in Minute 17 of Bowfinger? Well, Ramsey dismisses Bobby Bowfinger, who lies about having to head to his Mindhead meeting, prompting Kit to invite Bobby along for the ride to his own meeting. They make it just outside the gates before the light is rumbled and Bobby is thrown from the limo shortly before a gunshot is fired and his script is tossed out too. Do we think Kit Ramsey got the script? Do we think Kit Ramsey got the script? No, he, he got the script. Did he shoot the script? Oh yeah, yeah. He absolutely shot the script. When he shot the script, was he aiming out the window? Was he aiming anywhere in his inside his limo? How did this happen? I mean, he shoots the drum set quite clinically. So I'm thinking the window's open. He shoots through into the neighbor's lawn, which probably happens a lot. Yep. And then throws a script out. That's my that's my theory. Okay. That's my so pitch. There's a bullet hole through the script at this point. At least I don't think we see the script again with a bullet hole through it. That's a missed opportunity. Because the window, the window is open. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, he's got. Yeah, I don't think he shoots. All right, let's watch. Here we go. And he preps the script. He holds it. Yeah, I mean, it takes a little while. He shoots. Maybe he shoots into the door. I don't think. Does, do you think he shoots the car? I I feel like he's in such a rage. Like when when that when he shuts that window, that's angry Eddie Murphy face. Yeah. Right. So I I, don't, I think he's more in a. I don't care where I'm shooting, so there's probably a bullet hole in his seat at, that, <laughs> at the moment, at that point. He's Kit Ramsey. He has a lot of money. Who does he care if he has to reupholster his limo? That's true. I mean, Minehead, too. I mean, he probably Mindhead? pays a lot for Minehead. Minehead? Minehead! Minehead! Uh, <laughs> Who's your guy? Ray! <laughs> Wait, oh, hey. man, I got his name here. Oh! Terry Strickland. I just messed it up. Oh, Terry Strait. Hey, let's do it again. We got to we gotta get this right. You, you ready for this? Okay. You're just Steve Martin. You got it? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm late for my Mindhead meeting. Mindhead? 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 Who's your guy? No, I I, I, I have the, who's your guy? Who's your guy? Uh, Sorry, right, let's go again. Me. This is great, listeners. This is great. All right, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Um, I'm going to go for my Mindhead meeting. Mindhead? Mindhead? Mindhead! Mindhead! Who's your guy? Terry Stricter, you? Ray! Ray? And then the rest <laughs> is adult. 
I love that. Ray. Mind head, mind head, mind head, mind head. That back and forth uh, in the script. <laughs> uh, Ray? Oh, man. That's just... And then he just gets kicked out. Oh, my gosh. Did you... I read a really neat interview with Steve Martin and Carrie Fisher where they talked about writing. And did you know that this was originally two movies? Like, uh, Steve Martin wrote two, like, had two ideas, and they completely changed them. Did you, do you know about that? I didn't. Uh, you sent me that interview, and I didn't get all the way through it, I'm afraid. Got it. So he said that his first idea was he wanted to make one about a producer who only had a couple months to live. Oh, wow. So the producer, the producer was going to try to to live life, you know, like live like you were dying, like the Tim McGraw song. I think it's Tim McGraw. And then he had another one where there's a producer who throws this huge party and just blows up all the celebrities in L.A. And then you cut to the Oscars the week later and no one's there. Like a few Shit. people are in the crowd. And so he originally had that idea. But he's like, that's just too high concept. And so he switched it to a guy trying to swindle the be- the best actor on the planet into being a movie then he just fake films them just to make it easier to film and he wanted keanu reeves but then brian grazer suggested eddie murphy and then steve martin rewrote the script for murphy and then a lot of them you know they, they still frank oz said that 10 percent of this film was eddie murphy improv the rest was the script uh, but yeah it's i just like that that was his original plan but that would have been like a nasty mean kind of scathing type film and instead i think he went for more of a nice easily to digest high concept film yeah that I was see how he could really come back from killing all of hollywood that's <laughs> that's an ending yeah. especially where he was at in his career too like he hadn't had a hit in a minute and then you blow up hollywood it could feel like sour grapes yes and so yeah. i i think yeah and I think one thing about his 90s career, though, is that he started writing a lot. He started writing for The New Yorker. Then his book came out. Then he started performing music. And dude, I, I pulled some numbers on Steve Martin. I had to do an episode for Rotten Tomatoes where it was um, Steve Martin versus Martin Short. And he, let's see. So I know he didn't have a lot of hits during this time, but it was actually really good for him in, in other regards. So I know he won his first Emmy in 69 for working for the Smothers Brothers. But he also won five Grammys. He was been nominated for two Tonys. 2013, he was given an honorary Oscar. And then like his, his, he, you know, he had his albums, what, Let's Get Small, Wild Crazy Guy in 78. Then he had Comedy is Not Pretty 79. But then he had, in 1998, he had his collection of stories called Pure, Dr- Pure Drivel. It was a New York Times bestselling offer. Uh, uh, <laughs> New York Times bestselling book. Then in 2000, he wrote a novella called Shop Girl, and that was on the New York Times list of bestsellers at number six, and then it peaked at number four. And then in 2003, he wrote The Pleasure of My Company, another bestseller. So this guy, I, I guess it's good that during this time, he, he kind of pulled away from acting, but then he also started writing more, and he also started doing a lot more music and working on more screenplays and so in between this gap or he wasn't, he, he just wasn't being funny. He said he went and he wrote something funny. So it's, it's kind of interesting that even though his career during the nineties wasn't huge, it kind of forced him to uh, like pursue other creative endeavors, I guess. And yeah. he's really been paying the benefit. Like he's been benefiting from those ever since. So I think that's pretty cool. Something that yeah. came out of his dry spell of the nineties. And I've seen him play the banjo. Whoa. You saw him live. Yeah. 
uh, um, as like a, a graduation present for my parents. They took me to uh, to LA, and uh, we, we whilst we were no, it was when we were in we were in Boston. We were in Boston, we had like an evening free. We've been to Cheers, done that. Leaving free, like what are we gonna do? Well, Steve Martin's playing. Let's go. So just on impromptu went and watch Steve Martin do a little bit of stand up and play the banjo with uh, with the Steep Canyon Rangers. I think it was his backup group. Uh, oh so that was it, was it was great. Like, it was really impromptu. Oh, let's go. To, what? Why not? Let's go watch Steve Martin play the banjo for for a couple of hours. Excellent oh, that's show. cool. Uh, was, the tour he was doing prior to the Crow, the album The Crow. Uh, were yeah. you were you a big fan of his? I mean, were you? I, oh yeah, uh, you're right. The Crow it won a Grammy Award for Best Bluegrass, and then 2011 he was nominated as well. Yeah. So he's a, he's a Grammy Award winner. Were you were you a Steve Martin guy? Uh, are are guy you a Steve I, Martin guy? I haven't seen everything he's done, uh, but what I have seen, I I tend to have liked. You know, I I love him in Little Shop of Horrors, Strange yeah. Autovilles. It's wonderful. Uh, just the the films I've seen him in. Mostly great. Uh, Jerk is fantastic. Uh, Three Amigos is a lot of fun. Muppet movie's great. You know, mm-hmm. he's just one of those guys. He's al- he's always been there. He's always been great. Roxanne, wonderful film. Parenthood, wonderful film. <laughs> L.A. Story. L.A. Story. L.A. Story. Love L.A. Story. Yeah, that's his other like taking down Hollywood kind of film. L.A. Story. I love that. That's one of the most sharply written movies, is it not? Like what a what a well written film. Uh, I think it's really well written. The the twist with the the sign flashing letters, I do get as annoyed as he does at it. I think where it's just like, well, this doesn't make any sense. I think, but it's, this is all supposed to. Yeah, that would have been a fun minute by minute telling story. Oh heck yeah! And you know when we when I was doing plane trains and automobile with with movie Rob, I was reminded that his movies are very much so. I. I talk about growing up. I quote his movies a lot. They're shooting at the cans. They said they said she would give me a job, a blow job. The Three Amigos, just the 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 dance that they do. Like you shot the Invisible Man. I always say a sweater. Like I know that's not Steve Martin's character, but I love that bit. And then my my, my Blue Heaven. If I have two of something, I'm like in case I want to read it more than once. Like I've really, I've been quoting this dude for a long time, but I don't think I've ever been like a as loyal a fan as maybe let's say deep as i am of deep blue sea but for some reason steve martin's always like he's probably one of my most quoted actors out there when it comes to movies like you know movies get made for two two thousand one hundred eighty four dollars like that's fun i I just throw that out randomly sometimes so it's kind of funny he needs to make a shark film yeah he does the man with two shark fins there we go jeez please (laughs) <laughs> but no i just i know i brought up his his past but this steve martin is such an interesting fellow because he's you can watch him you watch movies like spanish prisoner or shop girl and he comes across as such an intelligent introspective man who has won grammys has, is a new york times best-selling author but then he can play a complete idiot wonderfully and that makes me happy too. So he really is multifaceted, this guy. And he, and also too, what what I love about him is I think he, he loves physical comedy. He said he wanted to make this movie for European crowds with very physical comedy. And he said the biggest challenge in physical comedy, most importantly, is to not become too stupid, for it to be clever, because otherwise you're just falling down. I was thinking of Frank Oz about this. He said we can't just have the ladder whack somebody. 
we got to have the ladder whack somebody because X, Y, Z having been set up and it's inevitable that the ladder is whacking us. So, uh, when he gets thrown out of the car in this clip, it just play, it, it makes sense. It's physical comedy, but it's also quite funny because Eddie Murphy just chucks him out or Kit Ramsey just chucks him out of the car. And I, I think that works pretty well. The comedy in this movie. Does that make sense? It, it does. Yeah. I think, I don't think it's Steve Martin being thrown out of the car. That's probably a stunt double. Uh, <laughs> but I, I'm with you as to it, it making sense and it being a, a kind of a funny fall out of the car. How do you reckon yeah. the conversation in the car went? We had the okay. change like Ray, hey. We can't really hear the rest until he gets chucked out with uh, it's people like you that would give my head a bad name. So All right, let's something. play it out. Let's play it out. Who okay. do you want to be? Uh, I'll stick with being Steve Martin. Alright, so I'll be Kit. So so, so the, the last we heard was uh, uh, uh guy, Terry Strait, yours, Ray. My, my guy's Ray. Uh, uh, okay, here we go. Ray? Who's Ray? I, he's he's my guy, you know the guy at uh, Mindhead. He he gives me the things, he tells me what to do. Ray at Minehead? Yeah. Does, do you not, do you not know Ray? Is he new? I mean, he's been my guy since I started. Are you talking Ray Johnson? I had Ray Stevenson. <laughs> the actor? That's <laughs> all good, damn it. <laughs> yeah, the actor's test. <laughs> yeah, the guy from school. Uh, Ray Stevenson? I hate that guy. <laughs> Get out of my little. <laughs> Have you seen RRR? You threw me for a yeah, loop on that one. Yeah, he he just I mean, he just probably lied and got deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. Then Murphy well, kicks him out. Well, that's it because hey, the, the who's your guy Terry Strokes? We find out next uh, find out tomorrow, I think, that Terry Strokes is the main guy at Mindhead. He is the Mindhead guy, so if, he's probably everyone's guy. Oh, so I don't think you have well, another guy. You just the guy is 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 Terry Strokes. Do you really, do you think so? He seems like the hyper elite guy. Uh, yeah, it would make sense to with Kit, I guess. Because he goes after the big fish. He's Quint. Yep, that's true. Uh, we we know he, him, we know he's sort of him. And people just tag celebrities with barrels, and then he keeps them afloat with yeah. platitudes. <laughs> and hats. 350 actors came into the water that day. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the right number, I know, but I can't remember what the right number is. <laughs> oh, gosh. But yeah, this is just, uh, it's just another fun one. And, and, and also, too, Steve Martin said that the way he wrote this screenplay was, I think he just wanted to put, he, I think he was tired of not being funny, so we, he went out of his way to create sort of easily digestible situations like when Christine Baranski goes and talks to Kit in the in the store yeah. when when he's trying on clothes and that that creates conflict because she's not supposed to he, she's not supposed to he doesn't know and then she's like oh he's so method and then all of his lies and the way they shoot I think it just creates a fun tension to the comedy as well and it creates these highs and so this one I think you know, he's he's just straight up lying, but he's trying to do everything he can to get this script because he's desperate. So I think the humor works here with the Minehead that he would do it. Also, it's a good segue into Minehead. Yeah, and you said about uh, uh, Steve Martin that you wanted to be just to like play internationally, have physical physical comedy, but you do have some uh, some like script comedy as well. The the line as he yells after the liver, I'm really a big time producer with clout. <laughs> it's a, a great line. <laughs> it's like, that's, 
not how anyone would describe themselves. That's not what you would do. I have clout. I have clout. I'm a big time producer with clout. <laughs> That's what producers who don't have clout say. Yeah, exactly. You never need to oh, tell someone you have clout. Yeah, yeah, don't do that. But it's it's a good line. That works well. And I mean, listen, this movie made 100 mil in 99, was surrounded by huge hitters. When Steve Martin wasn't on the biggest run, I mean, Murphy was doing well. Where's Murphy at at this time? Uh, yeah, so he had done. Oh yeah. yeah, it's just before Shrek. Yeah, uh, and yeah, Life he's made seventy three million. Yeah, he's, be- he's between Nutty Professors and Doctor Doolittle's. So he is doing fine. He's doing bad films, but he's doing fine. Yeah, because he had. Oh man, he had that run of Beverly Hills Cop three. It still made one hundred nineteen million. But then Vampire in Brooklyn. But then he made Nutty Professor, which made two hundred seventy three million. Yeah. Then he followed that up with Metro. Yikes. And then Mulan and was gigantic. Yeah. Mushu was funny. Dr. Doolittle almost made 300 mil. Then he did Holy Man. Ouch. But then Life, that was good. The 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 prosthetic work by what Rick Baker. Yeah. Not eating the cornbread. He had a good 99 Murphy. So yeah, he was on a pretty hot streak. I was working in a theater when Nutty Professor 2 came out. Ooh wee. <laughs> oh, what do you mean by ooh wee? Well, all right, so <laughs> I was an usher and I, I never wanted to be a manager. So I took the supervisor position. So what that meant was you're not the, the lower one. You're not, you're not a beginner. You get a little bit of a raise, but you're not the manager. So you just have to stay at the end of the night. You kind of have to, you do the work that the manager doesn't have to worry about. Right. So when theaters got packed, I would have to go in and get like, so we didn't have assigned seating back then. We didn't even have stadium seating. So I would have to walk in and be like, Hey everybody, thank you for coming. This the uh, this 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 showing sold out. If you can, everyone, please move towards the center so that we can fit more people because everyone sits like a seat apart. Like okay. Yeah, and so I remember I walked into one of them, our biggest theater. Everyone spread all over the place, and I was like, "Hey guys, can you do me a favor?" And then everyone just looked at me and kind of laughed. I was like, "Hey guys, do you know like keep? Hey, can you do me a favor?" And I don't know what I did, but somehow I just stuck with it for long enough, and I just got earnest enough with it that everyone actually moved over. Oh, wow. And everyone provided seats for each other, and I walked out. Everyone clapped. So yeah. that was like one of my proudest moments working in a theater, where I got laughed at, and I was like, "Well, I'm not leaving." But I didn't get belligerent or mean. I think it was just I, I stayed super earnest, so then everyone kind of felt bad for me. And then everyone moved in. I packed everybody in for a Nutty Professor Two screening. That was one of my highlights as an usher at the Crossroads Eight and Tyrone Six Theaters in St. Petersburg, Florida. Jay, you allowed an extra forty people to see Nutty Professor Two. The clubs you. Can- Surely <laughs> are a hero. Oh man, the the worst theater though was South Park. I would always find beer in there, and people would smoke pot, and people would just kind of break bottles. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah, that was my worst. That was the and then I mean, kids movies were always the grossest, like Tarzan, like Toy Story. Those were nasty. Like kids, kids get those little trays. Parents don't care. Every junk's everywhere. But South Park for adults was the worst. I would say. And my least favorite crowds ever, Jay, were Phantom Menace because it was just a bunch of adults claiming that their lives were wrecked. Well, yeah, my, my 99, just... I saw two films in cinema. One was Phantom Menace and one was uh, Adam Sandler's Big Daddy. Oh. Those are the, the two films I saw in 99. And that was my first Star Wars film, so I, my, my childhood was not ruined by The Phantom Menace. My childhood started with The Phantom Menace. I forgot <sighs> that film. I think that really helped me with expectations and not being entitled man baby when it comes to movies because i saw just men ripping up tickets and complaining 
Yeah. This movie sucks. Like, I don't ever want to be that guy. Great crowds over Deep Blue Sea, Jay. I can. I People even, I can, cheering. Yeah, that makes sense because it's, it's a perfect cheering. film. It's such it's, it's a wonderful, <laughs> wonderful piece of art. Can I tell you something real quick? I got something off my chest before we get out of here. I don't want to hate on this comedian, great comedian, but he was talking about movies. And he was talking about Deep Blue Sea. And he's like, I remember in Deep Blue Sea, everyone got up and there were standing ovations and everyone was cheering and everyone loved it. But I just don't like it because sharks being smart is too much for me. Yeah. Like, Wait, you want a movie about smart sharks <laughs> that had people applauding in the theater and you don't like it? Get over yourself. I just want to get that out there, Jay, because this happened since we talked about Deep Blue Sea on the podcast. That's sad. That people, yeah. I mean, it's a film about smart sharks. Did enjoy it, and, and people so, applauded it's because it's perfect. Uh, so I just have one uh, other question about minute seventeen, which is so uh, Bofing got to Kit's house in a Mercedes that's parked just off screen, and he's kind of making the moves to leave in a limo to go to Mindhead. What was his plan with the Mercedes? Was there was he just going to leave it? Somehow get a message to Jamie Kennedy saying, oh, here's where the Mercedes is. It's going to be back in 45 minutes because you, you're cleaning it. He only cares about himself. He only, yeah, Ken- he Kennedy, about Kennedy would have had to have figured it out and, like, sweated bullets. It would have been... He would have, he would have screwed over Jamie Kennedy. In the movie, though, he does drive it back to Jamie Kennedy. Then he goes to the bungalow. But they cut that scene out. So yeah, at least well, we know that he drives it back. It's, it's, I mean, nice. he's, if he didn't, it would be very odd because he'd be, like, stranded there. He would just be walking back. But he's also, he's ripped the phone out of that, that one as well. Out of the oh, car. gosh. Yeah. What a... But if he did get Kit in the movie and then yeah, had Jamie it, Kennedy yeah. shoot it, so, you know, high yeah. risk, high reward. Yeah, exactly. Okay, well, that's uh, minute 17 of, of Bowfinger. That's very nice. Uh, uh, listeners, you can find the Bowfinger Minute podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play. Or at the main site, bowfingerminute.com. Please like, subscribe, and review the show on Apple Podcasts. And you can find us on Facebook at Welcome to Mindhead, the Bowfinger Minute Listeners Center, or on Twitter at Bowfinger Minute. And uh, for Minute 17 of, of Bowfinger Minute, I've been Jay Clover. <laughs> I'm Mark Hoffmeyer. Join us here next time on the Bowfinger Minute. And in the meantime, together, 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 keep it together, together. Keep it together, keep it together. Sure.